Will you please join me in Daniel chapter 9? Daniel chapter 9 as we continue our Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel. We started this chapter last week and the emphasis was on purposeful prayer. Remember that Daniel had been fasting and he was in sackcloth, ashes. It was a purposeful prayer and it was a prepared prayer time. And he had been reading from Jeremiah the prophet how that the Babylonian captivity was supposed to be over at the 70 year point. And so it makes sense that Daniel was refreshing his mind on what the prophet had to say concerning their time in captivity. With the Babylonians falling to the Medo-Persians, it was clear that it's coming. He had received visions in chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8 of the fall of the Babylonians and the rise of the Medo-Persians. And it's upon him now. And he's looking for the end of this captivity. So he sets his face unto the Lord his God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And he poured his heart out to God in verses 4 through 19. And we looked at that last week as he confessed the sins of his people. So we're going to pick this account back up in verse 20. And we're going to read verses 20 down through the end of the chapter. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding." At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate I mentioned last week how Daniel not only confessed the sins of his people but he also confessed his sins And we are seeing that plainly in verse 20. And don't ever forget how these in the Bible who we consider to be great men and women of God are just like you and I. They were born with a sin nature. 
And the Bible says of the prophet Elijah in James 5.17 that he was a man of like passions, or it says was a man subject to like passions, which means he was just like anyone else. Peter told Cornelius, who fell down at his feet to worship him, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Paul and Barnabas said, We are also men of like passions with you. And certainly there have been some mighty servants of God down through the ages, but they were all born with the same sin nature as we are. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The Old Testament saints were not saved by the law as some teach, but they too were saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. They looked forward to Christ's sacrifice. We look back to Christ's sacrifice. But all who have ever been born again have been saved the same way. And that's through the blood of the Lamb of God. I was hoping for way more agreement on that. I know it's Wednesday night, so I'm not expecting it. I was just hoping. Um, And I highlight this because twice in Ezekiel 14 it mentions how Daniel was a righteous man. And yet we find Daniel here confessing his own sinfulness, which means it is possible to be a sinner and still be considered righteous in the eyes of God. And I don't say that to justify our sinfulness, but I say that hopefully to encourage us to continue to serve God because He'll continue to use us as long as we're willing. 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now obviously we ought to strive to live righteously. But understand that all of our righteousness is of God. And when we sin, if we will confess our sin to God, He will forgive and cleanse us and He makes us fit to serve Him. So, stop using the excuse that your sinful past disqualifies you from being used by God. Daniel wasn't a perfect man, but God still used him because Daniel was humble enough to confess his sins and to walk humbly with his God and to seek the Lord's forgiveness. Someone said, keep short accounts with God. And I agree. Once you confess your sins, take God at His word that you're forgiven and then move on and keep serving Him. Christ's blood is either sufficient or it isn't. For anyone to suggest that God cannot use them due to their past sins is to suggest that Christ's death was inadequate. How prideful is it then for someone to say they can't be cleansed of all their unrighteousness, as if their sinfulness was so great that God's forgiveness can't reach them. Christ saves to the uttermost. In Christ, we are a new creature. His blood washes away all of our sins. And so we have to take God at His word and stop thinking that we're such an exclusive sinner that His blood can't reach you. We see in verse 21, while Daniel was praying, Gabriel shows up. That'd be pretty nice sometimes, wouldn't it? 
We know from Luke chapter 1, he is an angel. Daniel calls him the man Gabriel because his appearance was after the likeness of a man. In fact, when angels show up in the Bible, they always do so in masculine form. Which makes you wonder about the paintings that are out there. Daniel goes on to say, Gabriel was the one whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning. This has caused some to speculate that perhaps he received a vision at the beginning of this chapter that is not recorded just before he prayed or maybe right during that time. But I don't think that's the case necessarily because all the other visions he's had that we know of anyway, I guess, they've been recorded for us. I don't know why he wouldn't have recorded that one. I personally think it's best to see this as a reference back to Daniel 8.16 when Gabriel first showed up to Daniel to interpret the vision of the ram and the goat. And at the end of verse 21, we're told Gabriel touched Daniel about the time of the evening oblation. Which according to every commentary that I have access to, this would be uh, the ninth hour or what correlates to our 3 p.m. And if that's correct, this is interesting because of all the events in our Bible that take place at that time. And for sure the event of Elijah on Mount Carmel occurred at this time because we're told it happened at the time of the evening sacrifice there. Uh, This is when Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven and consumed the altar and the burnt sacrifice and the rocks and uh, licked up the water. I mean, it just totally consumed um, that sacrifice there. It was also the time of the evening sacrifice when Ezra prayed and confessed the sinfulness of the people who came out of the captivity, uh, namely those who had married strange wives. Acts 3.1 says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And that was the time when the crippled beggar was healed. In Acts chapter 10, it was the ninth hour when Cornelius had the angel of God appear to him and tell him to go and get Peter. Most importantly, concerning this time, and especially as it relates to what we're going to cover here in Daniel, this was when Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he yielded up the ghost. And so this is interesting because Daniel is praying at the time of the evening sacrifice, which would have, it would have been offered at this time, but the temple is no longer standing. And now Daniel is about to receive a prophecy regarding the ultimate sacrifice of the Messiah, the Prince, which will occur during this same time of the day. So this is fascinating, really. In verse 22, we find the reason for Gabriel coming to Daniel. It says, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. And in verse 23, we're given the timing of Gabriel making his way to Daniel at the beginning of thy supplications. The commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. And Gabriel informs Daniel that at the beginning of his prayer, the commandment came forth. Either this means the commandment came forth from God to Gabriel to go to Daniel, or the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem which is mentioned in verse 25, was issued at this same time that Daniel began to pray. I am currently of the opinion this means the command came from God to Gabriel to go to Daniel. 
and you're welcome to disagree with that, but that's my opinion. Nothing of the coming prophecy has been mentioned yet, and that's why I believe that. Whichever is the proper interpretation, Gabriel arrives to give Daniel skill and understanding to make Daniel understand the matter and consider the vision, referring to what Daniel is about to receive. By the way, if you're seeking skill and understanding in the Scriptures, then perhaps you should try prayer and fasting, as Daniel is doing here. But I kind of touched on that last time, so I won't dwell here. I should highlight Daniel is called greatly beloved by God. Or God delighted in him. Daniel delighted himself in God, and so God was delighted in him. And if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. As we seek, so shall we find. Seek God more, and God will will manifest more of Himself to you. Amen. We should also take note of how God sent Gabriel at the beginning of his prayer. So before Daniel was done praying, Gabriel is already showing up. He interrupts his prayer time. (laughs) God has a right to do that. In other words, as Daniel began to pray, the answer was already on the way. Because God knows our thoughts. Before he ever got it out, the answer is already coming. God knows the end from the beginning. Have you ever had a prayer answered that when you kind of analyze it in hindsight, you realize that the answer had to be coming before you ever asked? I certainly have. Maybe an answer came by mail. God already laid it on the heart of someone else to answer your prayer before you ever prayed it. If I'm not mistaken, Sharon Fogner just shared a testimony of that in our Sunday school, adult Sunday school class recently. I've had times when a note of encouragement has come in the mail that was useful for the very day that I received it. If I would have got it the day before, it wouldn't have made as much sense. You with me? But God had placed it on someone's heart to send that sentiment before I ever knew it was needed. We've had financial blessings come in the mail. That um, That's happened many times, by the way. A need that we didn't know was coming. And God was already meeting the need before we even uh, prayed about it. And we've seen that happen not only in our personal life, but here in our church. There's been times where we've had needs, and God's came through. And so Gabriel comes to Daniel as he begins to pray with information Daniel needed before Daniel ever got his whole prayer out of his mouth. And we read, Gabriel has come to Daniel to give him skill and understanding. And he says to Daniel at the end of verse 23, Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Clearly, what Daniel is about to receive is meant to be understood. I'm emphasizing this because as we progress, I need you to hang on to this. Gabriel has come to give understanding. This is meant to be understood. And yet it is... I'm going to get ahead of myself. Why did Daniel need skill and understanding? Well, let's remember what we started in this chapter in verse 2. I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. 
in order to determine why Daniel needed skill and understanding, I think we need to determine what all Daniel read in Jeremiah that would cause him to need skill and understanding. Of particular importance would be, I believe, what Daniel would have read in what we call Jeremiah chapters 29 through 31. And I'm going to read several passages from there. I don't know if you want to go there or not. You don't have to turn there. But I've mentioned this before a couple of times already in this series. As the Babylonian captivity has been coming to an end, their thoughts are on what's going to happen next. And so, I want to get a little more in depth on this because I really think this sets the reason that the prophecy that we're about to study in the coming weeks is a result of what was likely on their minds. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and 11, Daniel would have read, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Chapters 29 through 31, are, they just are continuous flow. There's not a break there. In Jeremiah 30 and verse 3, it says, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. In Jeremiah 30, verses 9 and 10, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. Jeremiah 30, verse 18. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring again the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city shall be builded upon her own heap, and the palace shall remain after the manner thereof. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 8. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coast of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return thither. Jeremiah thirty-one seventeen, And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. And listen to this, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, And every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. These are very important passages as we consider what is about to be received. In in reading these passages, it stands to reason 
Daniel had great hopes that at the end of the 70-year captivity, God's blessings would be upon them with the arrival of the Messiah. They would, listen to what we, I'm going to give you the highlights of what we read. They would be visited by God. They would serve their king, who God would raise up. They would return to the land and the city would be built. God was going to establish a new and better covenant with them. And He would be their God and they would be His people. And their sins and iniquities would He remember no more. Now, I know we can't get inside Daniel's head. And I don't want to be guilty of taking too much liberty with the Scriptures. But it is probable that Daniel's thinking in all of this was it was going to happen very quickly after the 70-year captivity. Dare I say, imminency. <laughs> I'll save that for another time. <laughs> Let me... No, I, I can't shut up. It's so funny, people today are talking about imminency, imminency, imminency. Christ can come back right now, and yet the same people that say that get on their podcast and go, well, what's happening in Israel with Hamas is a fulfillment of prophecy. How can we still be fulfilling prophecy if He can come back right now? Anyway, I'm already blowing some of your minds. So, Daniel is probably thinking imminent here that this is going to happen. The 70-year captivity is going to come to an end. God's going to visit them. He's going to raise up to them a king. And, and so that was a common problem with Israel's view of the Messiah. So it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that the Old Testament folks are thinking the same thing because really they were still kind of under that old covenant before Jesus gave his life. That's what they were thinking. Um, let, let me just give you an example here. I feel like I'm drifting. Luke 19.11, And as they heard these things, he, he added and spake a parable because he was not in Jerusalem. Listen, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Acts 1.6, When they therefore were come together, this is after Jesus resurrected. They asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And so understand their mindset. We have to understand that the tribes of Israel associated the Messiah's arrival with earthly peace to the nation. In their minds, the Messiah was going to come on the scene triumphantly and He was going to deliver them out from under Gentile dominance and He was going to restore the kingdom to them in all of the kingdom's former glory, and He was going to reign as King. And, and that was their, their view of the Messiah. In fact, that's still the view of Judaism's idea of the Messiah today. That's why they still reject Christ. In their minds, Christ cannot be the Messiah. Jesus cannot be the Messiah because He died on a tree. That's not in their minds a conquering Messiah. That is, ushering in a kingdom. And so it's still a problem today. They had a difficult time wrapping their minds around a suffering Messiah. Although Isaiah had clearly foretold of Christ's sufferings, they did not understand the Gentiles being grafted in. So God was likely sending Gabriel to Daniel to correct the nation's idea of what the arrival of the Messiah would mean. And if he was thinking from Jeremiah that the Messiah's arrival was shortly on the way, 
this also had, it had to be difficult for him to sort all of this out in his mind given the visions that he had received in chapters 7 and 8. Is everybody with me? Am I going too fast? Remember in chapter 7 that out of the fourth beast would arrive one who would make war with the saints. He would prevail against them. He would speak great words against the Most High. He would wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into His hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. And then remember from chapter 8, there would arise from the goat one who would wax exceeding great toward the pleasant land, toward the land of Judea. And he would destroy the mighty and the holy people. He would stand up against the prince of princes and he would even take away the daily sacrifice. All of this was to come after the reign of the Medo-Persians. Therefore, how could the new covenant be established by the Messiah's arrival and there still be Gentile oppression? I hope I'm expressing this well enough that it's making sense. I hope you can see this may have been very difficult for Daniel to reconcile all of this in his mind. Because this is a lot to try to figure out if you're living in that time. Wait a minute, we still have two oppressive empires to go, and yet I'm reading after the 70-year captivity, you're going to raise up a king, you're going to visit us, we're going to go to the land, we're going to rebuild. Do you see what I'm saying? This would have been difficult to try to work through all of this. And so, whatever the reason though, Evidently, Daniel needed or at least desired further clarification. So God sends Gabriel to Daniel to give him skill and understanding and to understand the matter and consider the vision. Which I've already mentioned means we are meant to understand this. Daniel is now about to receive much more than he was seeking for. Daniel is going to learn these things are not going to come to pass quickly. But that the arrival's Messiah would be 483 years away. And that God had a 490 year long plan for the people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So with that, look again, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations... He shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Do, do you see the contrast? Reading in Jeremiah, man, this was going to be a great time. But wait a minute. We still had two more empires to go through, two more kingdoms to use the Bible's language. 
to go through. And so Gabriel here is saying, look, there's going to be troublous times. There's going to be some hard times that are coming in this period that he's given of these 70 weeks. Now, if you've studied any of this, then you are aware that what Daniel was given here has been a source of debate and sometimes very heated arguments concerning its proper interpretation for centuries now. Centuries. (laughs) Volumes could be compiled, and they probably have, on all the varying interpretations of this prophecy. I don't think one will ever be written that's going to make everybody happy. I don't expect what I'm going to give you is going to answer all of your questions or silence all of your criticisms either. Sadly, I've had people break fellowship with me and with our church over my interpretation of these verses to come. We've even had some leave our church over this issue. There's at least three churches in our area that want nothing to do with me. This is ridiculous. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know many of you agree because you've been here for a while. I know some of you don't. Some of you who have never heard it, you may not agree. But you don't have to agree with me on every detail of end times in order to be a member of this church. Here's what we all have to agree on when all is said and done. Christ is coming again, and we are not appointed unto wrath. That is absolutely clear from the Word of God. Back when the independent Baptist movement began, and people were leaving the Southern Baptist Church by the droves, you had a lot of preachers with a lot of varying interpretations on end times. And they all got along. They did. It was like people understood we're independent. (laughs) All that began to change, largely in the 70s. And unfortunately, many have now made eschatology a a litmus test for fellowship. And I mean among Baptists. Which is unfortunate because none of this is a part of our Baptist distinctives. Some are trying to make it that way today. So what am I saying to you? What I am about to present to you in the weeks ahead is going to be controversial for some of you to hear. I am personally convinced portions of what is being commonly taught today from this passage are false and are built upon false assumptions. And yet it is still the majority opinion. Some of you may hear things you've never heard before. And some of you may be confronted with a decision to make regarding what you have always been taught. How do I know this? Because this is what happened to me. So here's what I'm asking from you. Please read this passage this week slowly, methodically, precisely, prayerfully, And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. Please earnestly pray Luke 24, 45. 
Open their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. My heart's desire is none will become divisive over this. I ask you to please hear me out. And if you do and you still disagree, I'm okay with that. Because my understanding of this passage had to change over the years. I had to admit I was wrong. And that's never easy to do when you want to be right. All I ask is that you don't leave a good church over this. You see why I've been hesitant to give this series in Daniel? I've been praying since we started it for this hour. If you've agreed with my exposition of the scripture since you've been here, please give me the benefit of the doubt and know that I have studied these things at length. I'm not saying you haven't. And I want you to exercise, get this now, and I'll close. I want you to exercise the spirit of the Bereans who were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Keep this in mind. They received it first and then they searched to see if those things were so. Receive what I have to say first. Then see if it be so. Don't be guilty of not receiving it because you are stubbornly forcing your preconceived ideas of what you think it says. Don't get that Berean formula backwards because that's what a lot of people do. They don't want to receive it. They just want to refute it. Receive it and then See if those things be so. Well, that's a pretty good teaser for what's lying ahead, isn't it? Come prayed up, and let's determine not to be divisive. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.